Welcome, everyone, to Politics Express, the Postwriters Politics podcast. I am your host, the Postwriters Politics editor, Lars Emerson. We spent a lot of time this year talking about this cycle's Senate races, but this week it's all about 2022's governor's races. There are 36 governors up for election next month. Which governors are most vulnerable? What races should you keep an eye on? And what can you ignore? Stick around to find out. With me today to discuss is the Post Writers Editor in Chief, Michael Levito. Hi, Mike. Hi, Lars. Hi, good to see you. <laughs> Likewise. Uh, and also joining us this week is Armin Thomas, founding partner and contributing author at Split Ticket, a site run by regular people for regular people that analyzes elections and electoral data in an easy to understand way. Hi, Armin. Hi, guys. Glad to, glad to be here. It's, it's such an understated intro by regular people for regular people. Well, um, I, you know, it depends on how I wanted to frame it, you know, because we, we all just do this for fun, right? We're not making any money off of this. And we've just kind of been in the community and we've learned a lot. And so we just want to share what we have with uh, the people. And so that way, I like to think of ourselves as, you know, the people's prognosticator, in a sense. I... And uh, so that, that kind of, uh, the bio I gave you kind of tracks with that, I think. I, I like it. It's a very uh, everyman American kind of vibe. Um, thanks for coming on. It's great to have you. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's dive right in. Let's talk about the races to watch, the most important races this cycle, the races you should pay the most attention to in order to stay on top of what could happen in November. I think how we're going to do every section here is we'll talk. We'll, you guys can call them out, call out what you're watching what our audience should watch in each section uh and let's talk about it anyone want to go first well i guess i can i can uh, start off by saying that the governor's race i'm watching the most is honestly probably uh you know if i if i had to pick one i'd say uh nevada That's i think the nevada I'm watching the most too so <laughs> nevada is kind of at the confluence of a bunch of different trends and you know because the state because the population is so transient you know there's not there's a lot of extrapolation that you theoretically can do from what's happening in nevada to other parts right um and so when you look at hispanic voters in nevada uh, a lot of them come from you know california and um we already got one data point, which is that in the 2021 recall election of Gavin Newsom, that the 2020 baseline that was a, a market shift to the right has more or less held water for Democrats. So um, what happens in Nevada, you know, I'd expect it to kind of show up in California and in other places uh, with lots of, you know, urbanized, fairly moderate to liberal Mexican populations. Um, then you have the white population, which frankly is not good for democrats they they win white yeah. voters in nevada by a lot more than they should um and with the death of harry reed and with the now you know marginalization of the his old machine uh although to some extent it's it's still working in the background um the nevada democratic party has kind of had a little bit of a civil war 
between the old guard of reed establishment figures and you know new uh socialist type activists and that kind of thing in a state where the demographic cocktail doesn't favor favor you is not what you want to see um so it you know nevada whites i kind of liken it to how the situation with non-college white voters was in florida before 2016 Mm. which is that democrats used to win a much higher percent of that of that voting base than they than they are than they ought to have under the current governing rules of our coalitions um and so you know everyone talks about the hispanic vote with nevada and that's a big problem and i don't mean to 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 discount that but if nevada becomes unwinnable for democrats it the likeliest cause is you know permanent you know medium-term realignment among low education white voters and then you also have a smattering of black and asian voters as well um and um they're both small-ish but the asian population has is growing very very fast and they um I'm not an expert in Nevada, but my understanding is that it's a fairly decently educated population of Asian voters in Nevada, um, which in theory could provide some ballast to Democrats. But, you know, Asian voters, especially as a lot of them are new to the electorate and new to voting, their ideological opinions and, you know, partisan identity hasn't crystallized as much, which, um, you know, the Democrats would be keen to you know, capitalize on, because if they don't, then, you know, you see what happens when Democrats kind of leave one minority group out in the wind and the Republicans take advantage of that. And that's what has happened with Cubans and Venezuelans and South Americans in Florida. And, you know, that's a whole world of pain and hurt that they're, they're going through. So there, there's a lot of moving parts there. But if I had to pick, oh, you want, do you want to say something? Well, well yeah, I mean, we, to jump in on, on Nevada. So I guess we should say, so the incumbent governor, Steve Sisolak, he's up for re-election. Polls are very, right. very tight in that race. And Joe Lombardo, who is the uh, Clark County sheriff, Clark County being the home of Las Vegas, uh, is the Republican nominee. And Lombardo's like, something that stands out about him is the, he's just a fairly conventional nominee this cycle we we sort of talked a lot um i think in our senate race also about nevada because laxalt is also a fairly conventional senate nominee compared to some of the other republican choices this cycle um but i think everything else uh holds ground i think nevada actually has a lot more in common with a state like wisconsin than people think where it there are very diverse the difference being that nevada is majority minority uh, and wisconsin is majority white uh, but the white population in Nevada is actually incredibly uneducated. It is one of oh, the yeah. least educated states in the country. It's it's like around where Alabama is. Most people don't realize that. Yeah, no, it's it, it's definitely 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 true. All of that. Um, I think with with Lombardo with with Laxalt. I mean, I don't do our Senate ratings for split ticket. That's that's Lox's thing. But the state of the GOP candidate recruitment for the senate is such that adam laxalt is their best top tier recruit and adam laxalt is not that great of a candidate um you know just going purely on past performance and all of that um i mean he's a he he has won statewide before but 
you know, at least talking to people who are from Nevada and on the ground, there's definitely a perception that, you know, he comes off as, you know, kind of an elitist, uh, you know, pardon my language, but an elitist prick. That was the words uh, that they used to describe him. And you said yourself, in a state that's as educated or non-educated as Alabama, you know, that has certain connotations uh, for it. Now, the difference being uh, Catherine Cortez Masto is more or less kind of a blank slate in the eyes of many voters because a lot of people don't directly know who she is. She was last elected six years ago, and as I said, the state's very transient. Yeah. Sizzlack, on the other hand, uh, has angered a lot of people with how he handled the pandemic and the business restrictions and all of that. And so uh, Lombardo's gotten a lot of very good high-profile endorsements. And the other thing is Lombardo is... Yeah, you said yourself, like an actually very good A-plus recruit candidate. You know, his campaign, from what we can tell, hasn't particularly been, you know, a culture war, red meat, far right campaign. Um, And the fact that he is from Clark County is going to be a huge boon because, I mean, 65 percent of the state lives in Clark County and they've all voted for him by landslide margins before. Yeah. and he's and he's doing he's doing a lot of advertising in Reno, which is the other big place where people live. So, um, with Nevada, like I, I was honestly this close to moving it from toss up to leans Republican, except that when thinking about it, like I would pick Lombardo to win in eighty five out of a hundred, you know, coin flips if I had to do it. Mm. But I, I'm not confident enough about that. You know, the polling is still too tight um, to confident to confidently say that Lombardo is ahead, um, even though I think that, you know, just the state of things in the ground, and also if you follow John Ralston, who's kind of the Nevada political guru, oh, yeah. uh, he's he's made note of the fact that the, the registration ed- edge the Democrats used to have in the state has, you know, really been ed- uh, edging away, so uh, that, you know, kind of complicates things further. Yeah. Mike, do you want to add anything to Nevada, or do you want to throw I, I out a just, different state? <laughs> I think you guys really covered, I think, most ground as far as to say that race goes. But I would just add in, I think, the extra um, wrinkle for why, why this race might concern Democrats a little bit more, not just because they might lose it, but also because you worry, I think, about Joe Lombardo maybe having a bit of a coattail effect down ballot. Um, not just with Adam oh, Weitzel, but yeah. also with, oh, God, yeah, uh, the, you know. <laughs> We talked about how Lombardo was not necessarily the red meat far right guy, but uh, their nominees for secretary of state and even state treasurer certainly are. Yeah. And in a, in a state that will be close this year and will certainly be close in 2024, um, that will worry a lot of Democrats if you get these out and out election deniers in positions of power um, right. in a swing state like Nevada. Does toss up sound right to everyone? Yeah, yes. I, that's, yeah. that's where we have <laughs> for now. And I think we'll keep it there until election day, so. We, we don't do governor's ratings, so we'll, we'll go with you with what you said. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Mike, do you want to throw out, throw out a state? Yeah, so the one I have here, I don't know how politically consequential it will end up being in the end of the day, um, but the one I'm watching the most simply because it fascinates me the most is Oregon. Um, Oregon obviously has this reputation as being a very liberal state. Um, it is, of course, the home of Portland, Oregon. Um, and it has, is a state that has not elected a Republican governor since 1978. That's a very, very, very long time. I mean, Massachusetts. Wait, was it has, 78 or 82? Oh, you, 82. You're right. I'm sorry. He was, the guy was first elected in 78. I read that wrong. Whoa. Thank you. Right. Um, 
still a very long time. <laughs> um, it's true. It's I true. actually believe that may be the current record. Um, for well, South job. Dakota was 74, but that was for a Democrat. Right, yeah, yeah. I was thinking for, uh, you're, I was thinking so, for a, a Republican. Yeah, for um, a Republican, it definitely is Oregon. Wow. Yes. Um, and, you know, in, in, in so one would think that this would be a relatively easy, certainly not a layup, but a relatively easy win for Democrats. But unfortunately for them, there may be a bit of a, well, there's a couple things going on, I should say. One is that the current uh, governor, the incumbent, Kate Brown, who is a Democrat, is not popular at all. In fact, by some measure, she's the most unpopular governor in the country. Um, now, she's not running. She's term limited. And so the Democratic nominee is Tina Kotek, who is the former Speaker of the Oregon House of Representatives. She represented a district in Portland, a very liberal district, as you might expect. And she's running against Christine Drazen, who is... Former uh, state House minority yes. leader, I think. Yes, the state House minority leader. And if you know anything about uh, the way that Republicans and the Oregon state legislator operate, you know, Oregon, like I said, a very Democratic state, but they don't... It's it's not like California, where they have like a like a... This, this sort of overwhelming majority. They have majorities, certainly, but um, Oregon Republicans have been able to, uh, let's just say, pull some shenanigans when it comes to things about cloture and um, uh, quorum and, 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 and all, all those sort of very esoteric parliamentary rules, things that is basically in, in an attempt to prevent um, the Democrats from, from passing certain legislation. And Drazen, Drazen, I actually don't know how to pronounce her name. Um, I think it's Drazen. <laughs> Drazen has been a, has been a big part of that. Um, now, what what makes this race so close is that there is a fairly significant third party candidate this race, an independent named Betsy Johnson, who is herself a former Democrat. She was a member of the state Senate um, and who is running specifically because she thinks that the Oregon Democrats have gone too far left. Um, and so it's not like she's just some nobody who's, you know, walking in off the street with, with some weird ideas and independent, you know, she, she is actually a, a known name in the state. Um, she has served in a high-profile role before. Um, and, and this is creating a situation where um, I, would, I would probably say we're, we're in pretty much a toss-up environment here for Oregon as well. And um, right. things could get very interesting if Drazen does win. Um, I'm sure if she does win, I, like I said, uh, you know, the, or the Democrats don't have a supermajority in the state legislature, so the way she will have to negotiate with that selection will be very interesting to watch. Um, and I just think the psychological impact on Democrats will be pretty stark as well. Um, it'll be a pretty big football for Republicans to spike that in the, in the heart of Pacific Northwestern liberalism, you have a Republican governor. Now, will she win with 50%, 50 plus percent of the vote? No. Probably not. You're probably looking at something, I would say maybe in the 45% range based on some of the polls I'm looking, if she does win. Um, but it is a very real and distinct possibility that she does. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I put out a tweet earlier today that was basically amounted to the fact that I think Grayson is favored right now, honestly. And Oregon mm -hmm. polling is weird, but we've gotten multiple signals that she's maintaining you know, a very stubborn lead. Um, and even accounting in for the Betsy Johnson factor, um, you know, it's not clear that she's taking, uh, you know, it's not exactly clear who Betsy Johnson is taking votes from. Mm -hmm. uh, but what you can tell is that, um, you know, the, as you get down the home stretch, third party candidates tend to kind of 
atrophy their support. This happens in every election. Um, so do I think uh, do, do I think that uh, Betsy Johnson is going to get twenty five percent of the vote? No, I don't think so. But she certainly could get fifteen percent of the vote. Um, and you know, the people who are going to vote for an independent Democrat over an actual Democrat or an actual Republican, logically speaking, have to be some of the least ideological folks, uh, you know, in the in the state's voting pool, right? Mm. Um, and so for them, you know, I mean, for a lot of people, right? I mean, on Twitter, we obviously have a very uh, nuanced and ideological ways of thinking about things, but a lot of people just don't, you know, actually, you know, make their political decisions that way. Um, and I think that a lot of Betsy Johnson's, uh, you know, she has some of that, you know, moderate appeal, but a lot of it is just, you know, people who are angry at the way things are and they don't trust the Republicans and they also don't trust the Democrats. Um, now, that said, when you look at the favorables, this is the important thing, uh, because the Delta and favorables tells you a lot, right? I mean, Hillary lost the election on, on her on her Delta and favorables uh, next to Donald Trump in 2016. Um now, Drazen's favorables are more or less basically, you know, holding water at about, you know, plus zero, plus one. Uh, Tina Kotek's favorables are at negative 15, negative 20. Mm -hmm. You know, stuff that Dr. Oz, you know, would, uh, I mean, it, it's not as bad as Dr. Oz, but it's, it's, pre it's pretty close. Um, now, an ideological person, you know, answering the same poll who hates, Dra uh, hates Kotek and doesn't really care about Drazen, I think that as, you know, uh, Johnson's support gets winnowed and winnowed, there's a good case to be made that you know, that's not, and not as much of that support's going to go to Kotek as, you know, the conventional wisdom would think. Um, and, uh, you know, Oregon governor races are close anyway. They're much closer than, you know, Senate and presidential races. Um, the partisanship for the president is like D plus 15. For 2018, in a blue year, it was D plus 6. So you're already starting at a very purple-ish, uh, you know, baseline. Um, and we said Republican can't get to 50% with, you know, the Betsy Johnson spoiler effect. But she absolutely can get to 40, which, you know, 40 to, you know, 43 to 41 to, you know, do the math, 16% or something like that. You know, that's entirely reasonable for what happens. And then you also have, right, Republicans are hitting crime a lot, which in Oregon, being next to Portland, you know, that matters because Portland basically was like Weimar Germany for a lot of 2020. And, you know, that in, there, there's a lot more to the state than just Portland, right? You know, Clackamas, Washington, uh, those counties have a lot of suburban voters who are not, you know, you know, socialists or communists or whatever that live in, in Portland. Um, and, you know, Drazen, I think, has been has been doing that. Now, obviously, Portland is going to provide a significant ballast to Kotek, but I, I don't really see the case for picking Kotek at the moment, based on where I am. So on November, assuming we continue to get more polls the way we do, I, I do think I'm going to be end up, I'm going to end up picking Drazen. Which up. will... <laughs> It, oh, right now it's a toss-up. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a toss-up. I mean, we don't do tilt ratings, but if we did, I'd pick Drazen. Um, but I, I mean, as you said, I don't follow the Oregon legislature or anything, so I, you know, I don't know how many you know right-wing militias are going to storm the Oregon state capitol. 
or whatever you know happens there with that but uh it'll it'll certainly make uh make things interesting uh, oregon's definitely a state that doesn't get as much attention as as some of the other ones so yeah, I was uh, in, to, to, to your point about it not all being Portland, I was in Oregon for a little bit last summer, and I was staying in Eugene, which of course where the University of Oregon is, and I drove from Eugene to Portland. It's like a, it's, it's, it's not a short drive, and while you're making that drive, you may as well be in like Wyoming or something. <laughs> I mean, you'd be surprised how many Trump signs you see between those oh, two yeah. very liberal cities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I'll, I'll go next with the state that I'm watching as well. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to throw out Kansas cause I'm kind of a Kansas apologist. Uh, the Kansas governor's race, you have an uh, incumbent governor in Laura Kelly uh, and Derek Schmidt is the Republican nominee for governor. The reason I'm watching that race and a lot of people were very surprised by the abortion vote in camp in Kansas, which was the vote not to get away with not to do away with the right to have an abortion in the sunflower state. Um, they were the people who are surprised by that, I think haven't been paying attention to Kansas for a long time. It is not as Republican of a state as most people think. Uh, it's a state that has pretty routinely elected democratic governors and actually elected a lot of democratic women uh, as governors. Yeah. Joan Finney, Kathy and Sibelius yeah. uh, and Laura Kelly. Yeah. It, when you have a small state like that, I think kind of uh, kind of like Nevada, personality matters a lot more um, than it does in, in a large state. And uh, Kansas is a state dominated by like suburbs. Uh, it's like largest, you know, it's the largest urban area is mostly in Missouri. Uh, but the, you have like the quintessential like Romney clinton biden districts joko yeah all around yeah joko all around kansas city and it's just fascinating i think i think i'd kind of give kelly the upper hand there um, i agree but you know i don't know yeah so so i mean i just want to clarify two things you said so one kansas is not a republican as much a republican state so I agree with the caveat that it's not as conservative of a state, more more so than it's not as Republican of a state. Because when you put the partisan labels on things, uh, you know it, you know it really scramble things, right? I think, mm. as, you know, as a thought experiment, if Kansas had the statewide office of abortion uh, <laughs> inspector or something on the ballot, <laughs> they would elect a Republican as their abortion inspector. Or, I mean, sure. or, I, they, or you know, but when you ask people the issues separate from the parties it's you know it's very different um but i then the second thing is you talked about you know how appeal goes a long way in the small state i think that's doubly true for kansas because it's not a state which a lot of people are moving to in the same way that nevada is yeah. so the the churn of the electorate is not as high it's, it's so i think laura kelly definitely you know has a certain appeal that she's trying to hone in on um and to the point about Kansas not being as conservative of a state, even if it is, you know, fairly Republican. Um, I mean, she's got the endorsement of, you know, two former U.S. senators, uh, four former governors, um, many of whom are, you know, moderate Republicans or whatever. But there's still certainly a place in the Kansas GOP, not necessarily at the elected level, but, you know, at the voting base level for these, you know, more moderate type Republicans. Um 
Now, that's the case for Kelly. Now, the case for Schmidt is that Kansas is a red state and only elected a Democrat as governor because of uh, Chris Kobach and his antics. You know, in many ways, Kansas is kind of like the inverse of Massachusetts in that regard. Um, in that, you know, Kansas is an R plus 20 state that elects a lot of Democratic governors because the Republicans kind of mess things up. And in Massachusetts, where I am, you know, it's kind of the reverse. Um, or at least it, it has been un- until very likely what's going to happen this fall. Um, and with can but, you know, the ticket splitting, people say, you know, is going away. There's a lot of evidence for it. But, you know, at the same time, I do think state partisanship is different than federal partisanship. And so while Kansas is R plus 20 on the federal, it's much closer to R plus 10 or something on the state level, especially with an incumbent Democratic governor who is fairly popular and who just had, you know, kind of a vindicating election result in that abortion referendum. Um, And and Derek Schmidt is, you know, he's not Kobach, obviously. He's not trying to ban all the illegals from Kansas or whatever it is that Kobach is doing, although he's running for heck is he running for attorney general or something like that um i think so yeah so he'll probably win that because no one cares enough to to research the attorney general thing and vote specifically on that ballot line but uh i mean if you've ever seen derek schmidt speak you know i mean i talked about adam laxalt and how he comes across as a prick with derek schmidt his problem is just that he's kind of wooden and Mm. you know is not you know exactly an inspiring candidate you know when you know on anything other than his resume and that doesn't count as much for it what it used to but it still is important especially in a small state when you're up again when you're not the incumbent so obviously i think it's a toss-up um but that sounds i'd pick kelly i'd pick kelly today yeah Um, i would as well the one thing i would add is we were talking about bessie johnson about in oregon there's also a relatively significant, and I, I emphasize... Oh, yes, I forgot to mention this, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, Dennis Pyle <laughs> is his name, the former state, former Republican state senator. Mm. Yeah, he, he's kind of occupying like the, the MAGA right-wing lane, and uh, he has the political base to do it, because, I mean, you talked about how Kansas has, you know, the main political battleground of the suburbs, but what is what's that pitted against? It's the giant red, you know... Uh, swath of rural Kansas that's out in the West, and that's exactly where Dennis Pyle is from. You know, his district, I think, has one of the largest amounts of Republican votes in the state. Um, and, I mean, I don't think he's going to get more than 5% of the vote, but, you know, against a Democratic incumbent, Schmidt needs every vote he's going to get. So, you know, that's another check mark for Kelly, is that that's happening. Yeah. Uh, cool. All right. Someone else got another state that people should keep an eye on wisconsin Um, yeah we can talk wisconsin i mean i don't i don't know how to feel about this because i mean tony evers is popular um but then on the other hand the wisconsin gop is absolutely ruthless um at at destroying any you know kind of toehold the democrats have in power um and Wisconsin in not blue years has been very unkind to Democrats in the past decade. Um, I mean, 2010, 2014. And, you know, this is not even, uh, you know, gerrymandering or whatever, because that's the legislature's thing. But um, with 
with Evers, um, I think he's definitely got more of a shot than Barnes. I think the 4D chess play that you know people aren't talking about is that Barnes is probably going to lose because of you know the past things he said and you know how and Ron Johnson's you know, mystifying ability to piss off half the state and still win with 52% of the vote. Um, but, I mean, also then, you know, the way he's running his campaign, which is, you know, basically saying Mandela Barnes is a black guy from Milwaukee named Mandela, vote accordingly, without saying that. You know, that that still, you know, carries some, some weight in Wisconsin. But he Mandela Barnes is going to juice the turnout in Milwaukee, which is historically more of a low propensity area than than madison is because madison is basically just all college white people from mm. boston and new york and all who are moving there milwaukee is not that um milwaukee really needs you know the investment to get turned out so while barnes not might not win himself he might provide just enough ballast to uh you know put evers over the line however you know i actually couldn't tell you which way i'd pick it you know if i was if i had to gun to my head today but, you know, Evers definitely still has a real shot at winning in a way that Barnes does not. I I am a Wisconsin doubter. So I think I, I toss up sounds right, but the polls are not very good in Wisconsin or they haven't been recently. And even the, a, a thing that sticks with me is even in 2018, and I know he was up against the incumbent governor, Scott Walker, but Tony Evers barely won that election. He went up by like a yeah. 1% in what was, you know, a pretty Democratic, heavily leaning year. And then Democrats did even worse in 2020 at uh, at the presidential level in Wisconsin. It's the trend line is not looking good is why I think I'd give I'd give it a toss up, but advantage Michelle's. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the hope for Wisconsin in for the Democratic side is basically that. You, they don't have a Florida-style collapse with working-class whites, yeah. um, pretty much. Uh, or if they do, that they recoup it enough with college whites. Um, in 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 wow, well, really, just Washington or Waukesha and Ozaki. But the problem with that is that, as we talked about, the Milwaukee exurbs are still some of the most heavily race-polarized suburbs outside of the South. Um, and with Mandela Barnes on the ballot, that becomes a little bit more complicated. Yeah. So, yeah, I would, I, w- I would say, like, you know, 55% chance Michelle's wins yeah. right now. Um, yeah. Um, any, any other races that people should be paying the most attention to before we take our break? I um, mean, Arizona, I would say, ooh, yeah. is a pretty big one. Um, oh, yeah, because... I- <laughs> I, I think if these sort of like swing state to potential far right governor ratio is probably the most significant in Arizona. You have uh, mm. Carrie Lake, who is um, basically parroted every single election conspiracy you possibly can. Um, she's a, a retired news anchor in Arizona, and she's running against uh, Katie Hobbs, who's the incumbent secretary of state. Um you know, with with Mark Kelly looking pretty good of like against Blake Masters, you would think that this would be sort of a prime opportunity for Democrats in a state that again had previously been very Republican. Doug Ducey won both his elections without much of an issue, um, but is now becoming much more purple. Um, but Katie Hobbs, the reporting on the ground at least, and I haven't been to Arizona or really spoken to anyone there, 
is that she's not running a very good campaign. Um, she mm-hmm. has thus far refused to debate Carrie Lake. Um, and I think there's certainly a fair, it's, it's certainly fair to question how many people watch debates for like the Senate or governor races. Um, but Lake's really been able to make it an issue. And, and Kate and Hobbs's reasons for not debating her are, have been kind of wishy-washy. She says she doesn't want to give Lake a platform um, to interrupt her and to kind of like, you know, air out her conspiracies. But I would probably argue my, my amateur campaign manager would argue this is exactly why you would want to debate her to like draw the contrast between you and her. Mm. Um, and I believe there's been some spending issues there as well. So, yeah, Arizona... Um, I, I would say certainly still a toss-up, but it has not looked good for Hobbs in recent weeks. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That that seems fair. There, it feels like there's way more toss-ups on the governor's map than on the Senate map. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's just because, you know, I mean, candidate quality and other issues besides who you want to control the Senate, you know, factor into those decisions. Yeah. Uh, so... Um, okay, any other states that people absolutely should be watching? Or, Well, I think those are the kind of the big, big ones. I mean, there's plenty of other races to watch, of course, but those are, those are kind of the big, big ones. All right. Uh, then we will be right back to talk about what we are specifically watching after our quick commercial break. If you're a fan of the Postwriters articles, podcasts, and projects, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. So once a week digests of everything we've worked on, what the site is up to, and other things we'd recommend each Monday. We don't believe in subjecting you to daily annoying emails, but we do believe in keeping our most passionate and loyal supporters in the loop on what we've been up to. We know how inconvenient and annoying it is to have your inbox flooded with constant reminders and useless material. That's why we run a curated weekly newsletter that gives you a once a week scoop. New subscribers help us know how many people are reading and listening to our work and want to hear more from us. So go to thepostwriter.com slash newsletter to sign up now. And we're back. Now let's move into what you don't need to watch, but what those of us watching the map as a whole will be keeping an eye on because things could change quickly in these states. These are the races that we think are most likely to merit a ratings change in the coming month as the situation on the ground shifts, and that's... Hence why we are keeping an eye on them so that you don't need to. Armin, you want to kick us off? What are you watching? What do you think could change? So currently, so we recently moved South Dakota onto the board from safe Republican. Um, And the reason for that is, well, I mean, I wrote the article, so you should read that first. But um, (laughs) if you don't, suffice to say the incumbent governor, Christy Nome, is not as popular as someone in her position should be for whatever reason um but you know in a state that hasn't elected a democrat as governor since 1974 and hasn't had a close within five points election for a republican since 1986 uh christy Nome almost losing in 2018 uh you know really kind of painted a bit of a target on her back um you know, just in terms of how her relationship is with, you know, people in the South Dakota GOP. Uh, And then you add in the fact that it's a really small state, like a really small state, so everybody knows each other. Um, And that means that the variability and the variance, uh, you know, goes up dramatically. So say, uh, 
if a Democrat is down by three in a poll in South Dakota, that is a, that's a much easier gap to close, theoretically speaking, than being down by three in, say, Florida. Um, and so, you know, that factor is there. Um, the fact that the Democrats have a good candidate in, you know, former state legislator Jamie Smith. I mean, he's one of like three people in the South Dakota state legislature who's a Democrat, but, you know, he's, he's still a good candidate nonetheless. Um, and we've gotten multiple polls from Gnome's own campaign as well as, you know, from South Dakota State University that show that this is actually indeed somewhat of a race. Now, we still expect Gnome to win, but, you know, her, her 2018 type underperformance, you know, isn't that out of the question. So it's, it's worth watching, I think. Yeah, she's in like an ethics scandal. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. something about it, her daughter. Or yeah, yeah. Like it was that. like a, an appraiser's license that I think got like fast tracked for her daughter, and there's an investigation or at least smoke about whether or not uh, some lovers were pulled to make that happen. Ooh, um, Mike, anything you're watching? So I, I confess I have really not dug that deep into this race. Um, as I, I should have if I'm going to talk about it. But as throughout, Oklahoma has had some close polls recently. Um, the race with incumbent Republican Kevin Stitt and uh, Joy Hoffmeister, the Democratic challenger, um, which, which, you know, it implies that uh, he, he may be, there, there may be a chance he, well, is there a chance he loses? Yes, technically anything could happen. Do I think he's going to lose? Probably not, but this will probably be a race that should, that will be closer than it should have been. Kevin's dead. Yeah. That's... Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember in 2018 when everyone, you know, saw close polls with Drew Edmondson against Kevin Stitt, and then he won by 12. So, mm -hmm. um, right. you know, we'll keep that one on the back burner. Maybe we'll move it to likely Republican by election day. But I definitely think at this point, you know, if I had to choose which one is likely to flip South Dakota or Oklahoma, it'd definitely be South Dakota. Yeah. South Dakota will be interesting, and I hate to play the what does this mean for 2024 or beyond game, but it's like Christy Nome as early as like, or as recently as I think 2020 was kind of touted as like the future of the Republican Party. And you kind of have to wonder if like a poor performance, even if she wins in 2022, will end up affecting her political future down the line. Oh, probably. I mean, her poor performance in 2018 is exactly emblematic of why her presidential campaign is going to last as long as my dream to become the Pope. <laughs> um, I don't know. The only other state that I can think of to throw in this category is New Mexico. I, I don't know. I am more bullish on, or I, I should say I'm more bearish on Republican chances in New Mexico uh, than I think most people so the incumbent governor michelle lewin grisham is up for re-election and she kind she kind of had an ethics thing too am i getting that right yeah she yeah. did yeah she sexually molested abused some staffer of hers uh and it was kind of a thing i mean people have don't really seem to be talking about it as much anymore but yeah uh it was theorized that it could put her in some amount of jeopardy yeah and so she reached a settlement in 2021 off of that accusation and I, I, it's sort of been drummed back up as the election has progressed but mark ronchetti who's the republican nominee um and he was also their senate nominee in 2020 if i'm not mistaken mm -hmm. yeah uh, 
he's he's like a news meteorologist. <laughs> yeah, it's... no, I mean he's he's not a bad he's not a bad candidate. He came within five points of, of beating Ben Ray Lujan. Yeah, um, but I mean, the polls really haven't indicated that Ronchetti's consolidating the support he needs to win. Yeah, um, and Michelle Lujan Grisham and the New Mexico Democrats are you know, kind of holding water with Hispanic voters in a way that Republicans ideally would not want. Uh, based on the, what, who I've talked to in the Democratic and Republican sides, they think that uh, MLG, uh, the incumbent, is going to win by about five points-ish. Mm. And so we, we currently have it as lean as Democrat. I think it'll just stay there until Elections day. I, election day. I mean, if all the polls are off by like a 2020-style margin or whatever... Then yeah, Ron Chetty probably has a shot at winning, but as of now, he doesn't, and the non-polling indicators seem to think that he is not favored right now. So we'll leave it as leans Democrat. Gotcha. Uh, anything else that y'all are watching in anticipation of a change? Or should we move to our last category? Um, no. Let's let let's uh, let's close it out. Okay. So this is our our most fun category which is rapid fire. What are states and races that we really, really encourage our listeners to stop paying attention to because they're getting too much press and it's annoying. I'm, I'm talking Texas governor's race. Someone say yeah. something about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Beto is a better candidate than a lot of people give him credit for, but you know, there's, that's still like 500,000 voters he needs to find. And he's not going to find them. Yeah. So, I mean, we have it as likely Republican because we, we've talked to Greg Abbott's own pollster who thinks that Abbott wins by about nine and that, you know, that's a little bit better than what everyone is expecting. But, you know, I, I would not pick Beto to win unless there was some truly gargantuan polling miss that none of us are picking up on. Yeah. All right. Texas is one. Anyone else? Florida. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I mean, I think with Florida, right, Ron DeSantis really succeeded in kind of marketing the state as, like, the conservative mecca. And so in the past four years, you've really just seen a ton of people flocking there. Um, but also then the, the Democratic organization in the state just does not exist to mount a campaign in what is an extremely diverse and heterogeneous uh, coalition that you have to balance. Um, and this goes for the Hispanic population, which is really diverse in Florida, but then also the working class white population, which Democrats have basically been doing worse and worse and worse with, which basically boils down to the fact that, you know, Charlie Crist is a decent candidate on paper, but, you know, he's there so that they could put a name on the ballot and not so that he can actually build the party long term because his time is. Uh, I mean, his time is, you know, kind of on the way out there. Uh, you know, Florida Democrats are going to be spending some time in the wilderness uh, as he, a result of 2022. Hey, Chris has successfully been elected governor before. <laughs> it's true. I mean, okay, now, I, I do give him credit because back then it was actually somewhat of a competitive state. But, but, you know, after this, he's likely to be the first person to lose a statewide election as a Republican and independent and as a Democrat. <laughs> Um, yeah. Whatever you are, be a good one, I guess. Yeah. Or a memorable one. <laughs> um, Mike, you got any races to throw in there? Yeah, I would say Georgia. Um, obviously, this was a very close election in 2018, and there was a lot of um, in 
well, in, in certainly I would say on Twitter and, and in the press, and there was a lot of enthusiasm for Stacey Abrams after 2020. She was given a lot of credit for helping flip Georgia blue, um, even though the, it, it's sort of very up in the air how much her efforts really played, um, really had. Well, so I think I think Stacey Abrams, the organizer, definitely is a net good for Democrats. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how much a net good, but it's a net good, right? Stacey right. Abrams, the candidate, is almost universally now accepted as not a net good exactly, uh, for, yeah. for whatever reason. And, I mean, you know, people talk a big thing about how extra black turnout, um, uh, extra black turnout kind of delivered Georgia to the, um, uh, to the Democrats. But the real, the real reason Biden and Warnock and Ossoff won is that... Um, I mean, they did better with college-educated whites in the Atlanta suburbs. Um, and so, you know, Stacey Abrams is toxic to that demographic in a way that the, the Democrats who've won the state aren't. And that demographic is going to win, is going to, re- seems to be breaking really hard for, uh, for Kemp. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's really not a path for, uh, for Stacey Abrams to win. I, yeah. I I agree. I was thinking about it today. I almost wonder if Kemp's <laughs> new role as a resistance icon has helped him with Democrats, <laughs> even though he is like an incredibly conservative governor. Like, I wonder, you know, there, there were some people who went and voted in that primary because they th- thought Kemp did the right thing in 2020, which, you know, he did. Um and I wonder if any Democrats are just going to be like, oh, well, he seems like a good one. I'll keep him. But who knows? Yeah, it, it, right. it gives Democrats who don't love Stacey Abrams license to vote for Brian Kemp. Yes. Or, or not even Democrats, even just maybe Republicans or independents in those college-educated suburbs who voted Democratic maybe for the first time in 2020 to, to, to vote for Brian Kemp again. Right. Um, yeah. But what else? I guess I'd throw out... I kind of want to throw out Minnesota. I know some people think that that could change. I really don't. I think incumbent governor I, I Tim don't. Walls I mean, is safe. Yeah, Walls is popular, and Jensen doesn't really seem to have the ballast he needs for a full-throated campaign against a reasonably popular Democratic incumbent. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. <laughs> so, all right. Someone else. <laughs> I, I, I would throw out, um, in, in a similar vein, similar-ish, at least, New York. Um, I don't know that there are many people seriously suggesting that Lee Zeldin could win that race, but I did see some rumblings about, oh, he could tie the vote in Long Island and things like that. Um, okay, yeah, but, I mean, Long Island is still, like, 20 points to the right of the state. Exactly, <laughs> yes. And I was that, like, that I would hope he, I, He's from Long Island. I would hope that he could, you know... I, would I mean, he's got to be winning... He's got to be winning Suffolk by 25 and Nassau by, like, 15 if he wants to have a shot. Exactly. And I, as somebody who lives in the New York area, just... His campaign has become, you know, he's trying to drum up the crime issue a lot, obviously. Um, but it, it's it's not just a thing of like, well, I won't defund the police. It's literally become a thing of like, I will fire the elected district attorney of Manhattan and will also bypass the state legislature to end bail reform, right? He is making lots of promises he will probably not be able to compete to, to um, keep. And I mean, also- I just don't get how you run a campaign in a state with a million and a half voter democrat registration edge and act like it's alabama you know in terms of how he's been like super pro-trump um 
you know, throughout his campaign and all that. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, the working theory is that Zeldin is just doing this so he can build up cred in the state party to run for uh, Suffolk County Executive, you know, <laughs> next year or whenever that is. Which, I mean, arguably is a more prestigious position than congressman, because, I mean, it, Suffolk is a county of a million and a half people, so. Yeah. Okay. Um, any, any, I, I kind of want to throw Michigan in there just to see what you guys say. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't see it. Everyone we've talked to doesn't see it. Tudor Dixon is just not it. I mean, the guy they wanted couldn't, you know, hire the right firm to do the signatures, so. Yeah. Um, apparently, the debate is going on, I believe, as we speak, or it may have just ended. Apparently, she had a decent debate, but I would agree with you that I, I don't see it happening. I mean, the debate only matters if Gresham Whitmer chokes or something, which, yeah. based on what I've heard, she didn't, so. Mm-hmm. Any any other races? I, I would just say Maine as well. Um, I know Maine yeah. is weird. I know it has a big white working class population. I also know that Paul LePage has never won, like, has he even, has he even won 40% of the in any of his... Well, any of his yeah, he got events? 41 and 48 in 2010 and 2014, respectively. Okay. But there is no spoiler right now to guarantee the success of that kind of thing. I mean, there is one, but he's not serious. Hey, leave um, Sam Hunkler alone. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and Janet Mills is fairly popular again. And like most voters up there just don't really see much of a reason to, uh, to kick her out. So we have it as likely democratic, uh, because I mean, in like nine out of 10 scenarios, Mills should win. But, you know, there's always that one that gets away. So, mm-hmm. uh, And the thing about the polling errors is that the polling errors that would be required to get some kind of a LePage victory are larger than the ones Susan Collins had in her favor. And she is the only candidate to generate that kind of error. So mm-hmm. it, it's very much not a system, systematic thing in Maine about non-college whites, whatever. It's a Susan Collins thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so make it that what you will, but I don't really see much of a path for uh, LePage. Cool. Any any last races you're not watching? Um, I mean, I guess Massachusetts. I mean, I'm from here, and from the minute Jeff Deal won that nomination, I mean, I guess everybody here kind of stopped caring and went home. Maryland is kind of in that same world. Yeah. Mar- Mar- I mean, Maryland is kind of like Massachusetts in that respect, but with more black people. So it's even worse for Democrat- for Republicans. Yeah. Um, Pennsylvania, I'm feeling... No, I'm still watching Pennsylvania. I mean, I think okay. Mastriano was pretty close to done. Um, I mean, he'll still, I mean, if he, you know, if he wins, then, you know, there's a whole other set of things that need to be reassessed, but there doesn't really seem to be much of a path for him to win based on uh, how he's doing his 40 days of prayer and fasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I'm definitely watching that race. I'm just encouraging people to stop spending so much time watching that race oh yeah i mean i think it just attracts a certain kind of attention because he was yeah. one of the vocal pro-insurrection people in a swing state so yeah um cool well let's wrap up the episode with our in our lifetime for this week it's governor related guys ready for this <laughs> okay 
So anyone before anyone born before the presidential election of 1992 has never experienced a country where a Republican was the governor of the largest state that went for the Democratic presidential candidate simultaneously with a Democrat being governor of the largest state that went for the Republican in that same presidential election. That was when Pete Wilson was governor of California in the 1990s and Democrat Ann Richards was governor of Texas in the 1990s. So in our lifetime, will we see this repeat where a Republican is governor of California at the same time a Democrat is governor of Texas? Um, in our lifetime, I mean, I suppose it could happen. Um, but for the next 20 years, no. Okay. I, I think the, the Democrat becoming governor of Texas is easier now. Yeah. Yeah, no, agreed. Yeah. Um, but I mean, coalitions change, and it's it's impossible to say. I mean, imagine being in 1950 and uh, telling a bunch of people in Southwest PA that their grandkids would all be Republicans. They <laughs> slapped you for it. Um, but you know, these things change, and you know, you know, coalition shifts do happen. So you know, never say never is the yeah. is the big thing in politics. But I think you know, for the for the near medium long term, yeah, I'd I'd say that it's unlikely to happen. Mike, is it going to happen in our lifetime? Um, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, like Armin said, it's, it's, you know, it, it could happen the next 70 years, certainly. Do I think it will happen in even the next 30? Probably not. Um, I think so I'd I guess, say it will happen in the next 30. I'm, I'm, oh. I think you'll get a moderate Republican elected in California in 20 years. That's just that my guess. That will be very fascinating to see. <laughs> like Maryland style, you know? Arnold Schwarzenegger comes back. From <laughs> right, right. Like... <laughs> right. I don't know. Um, but there you go. So we will end with that. Thank you for listening, everyone. Before we wrap up, Armin, do you or Split Ticket, do you want to plug anything? Tell them about your site, where to go? Yeah, so thanks for listening, guys. If you guys want to check out our content, we are uh, at, we're on Twitter at at split ticket underscore and our website is uh split dash ticket dot org uh so go check us out and you know drop us a like drop us a follow and you know help us uh, spread our message all right and you can also reach out to us on twitter you can find and follow us at the post writer or email us at contact at the post dot com Come chat with us. Tell us what you think the most important races are, what governor you're rooting for, or who you think is going to lose. Politics Express is a Postwriter podcast brought to you by thepostwriter.com. You can check out the stuff we work on, things we've written, our other podcasts, our Senate forecast, and more over there. Uh, thank you, Mike, as always, for joining, and special thanks to Armin as well. It was great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs>